chapter number 11. We are going to read a prophetic portion of Scripture. Then we are going to show you the fulfillment of the prophecy. That is something that the Bible does quite often. It is something that sets the Bible apart from any other so-called religious text in the world. The, the Bible very clearly claims to be divinely inspired. The, we covered this, I think, three or four weeks this summer. God is very clear in the Scripture that He wrote the book, that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Thus saith the Lord. The phrase is used over 500 times in the Word of God. But one of the evidences that we have that the Bible is a divine book, that the Bible was not just written by man, that it is supernaturally given to us so we can know God. One of the greatest evidences of that is the fact that it is filled, it is absolutely filled with fulfilled prophecies. God writes history in advance. God says what will happen before it happens. God gives details of people and places and events, and then those things come to pass in just the way that God has said. There are men who seek to make uh, prophecies, uh, prognostications, if I said that word correctly. They try to tell the future in advance, but it's always vague and it's always ambiguous and it's always subject to interpretation where it could fit a million different scenarios. But the Bible is precise in its predictions of the future and then it is precise in the fulfillment of those Predictions, And what we're going to study this morning is one such prophecy concerning Jesus Christ. Events surrounding his birth, his life, his ministry, his death and resurrection, all foretold hundreds of years beforehand in the Old Testament. This is one of those examples. We're going to get the prophetic application of the passage. I'm going to show you the prophecy. I'm going to show you the fulfillment. Uh, we're going to go back in the Old Testament to dig a little bit deeper into the prophecy. But then what I really want to focus on this morning is a practical application for us to take uh, from this passage. Zechariah chapter 11. Look with me at verse uh, number 12. Zechariah 11 and verse number 12. And I said unto them, if ye think good, give me my price. And if not, forbear. So they weighed for my price 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said unto me, Cast it unto the potter, a goodly price that I was priced at of them. And I took the thirty pieces of silver and cast them to the potter in the house of the Lord. Now, you're familiar with the New Testament. You've read about the life of Jesus Christ. You've uh, read the record recorded in the Gospels. Your mind instantly goes to Judas Iscariot and his betrayal of Jesus Christ for, wouldn't you know, 30 pieces of silver. In the book of Zechariah, and the date I have in my Bible is B.C. 487. This is 500 years. Think about that. 500 years. Let's go back in history 500 years from now. Guess what had happened? It had not been long since Columbus had sailed the ocean blue. He had gone uh, east by sailing west, discovered the Indies, and all of that, all of that 
earliest American history is going, that's 500 years ago. Let's say somebody in Columbus Day predicted somebody's betrayal, somebody's false imprisonment, somebody's false accusation, and, and exactly what the price would be paid to the one who gave up the innocent man to be condemned as guilty, and then they nailed it. Okay, that's what we're dealing with here. 500 years before Jesus comes, it is recorded what his betrayal price would be. And then not only that, what would be done with the money that was given to the one who betrayed him. And let's get the fulfillment of that. It's in the book of Matthew. Come to chapter number 26. Zechariah said, if you think good, give me my Price. So they wait for my price, 30 pieces of silver, and then that price was cast before the potter. Matthew chapter 26 and verse number 14. Matthew chapter 26 and verse number 14 says this, Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, Went to the chief priests and said to them, What will ye give me, and I will deliver him unto you? Isn't that incredible? Judas Iscariot has followed Jesus Christ for three and a half years. He has heard him teach. He has heard him preach. He has seen him work miracles. He's seen the lame walk. He's seen the blind see. He's seen the deaf hear. He's seen devils cast out. He's seen the dead raised to life. He has seen the love and the empathy and the mercy and the compassion displayed by the Savior. He has witnessed all of these things take place. He has walked with Jesus and talked with Jesus and eaten with Jesus. And, and for three and a half years, he's followed Jesus. And he comes to the end of that and he goes to the chief priests who have been seeking to put him to death for the entirety of his ministry. And he says, look, guys, what do you give me? And I'll deliver him to you. And he said to them, what will you give me? And I'll deliver him unto you. And they covenanted with him for 30 pieces of silver. And from that time, he sought opportunity to betray him. And you know how the story goes. They're in the upper room. Jesus says, tonight one of you will betray me. They all want to know who it is, but nobody wants to ask. They finally get John to ask. And Jesus says, the one to whom I will give the sop. He dips the bread in the sop and hands it to Judas Iscariot. And he says, that thou doest, do quickly. Judas gets up and they still, the disciples still don't know that Judas is getting up to go and betray the Lord. They think, oh, he must be going to give something to the poor. Nobody suspected Judas. Judas didn't look creepy in real life like he does in all the paintings. Okay? But Judas, I don't know what was in his heart. But there was something in his heart that, that led him to give Jesus up and take the price of, just like Zechariah said, 30 pieces of silver. So that night, as Christ is in the upper room with his disciples, Judas goes to the chief priest, and let's, uh, let's, let's, let's see if we can find it. In chapter 27, this is actually what happens afterward. We can go to the other Gospels if we want to read the record of 
Judas and his conversation uh, with the with the priest, but we'll skip that for this morning. He goes, he betrays him, he leads them to Gethsemane, where he knows that Jesus will retire to pray. There he is arrested, there he is apprehended, he's brought into Caiaphas' judgment hall, from there to Pilate's judgment hall, from there to Herod's, back to Pilate's, condemned to be crucified. And the Bible says in Matthew chapter 27, in verse number one, when the morning was come, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death, and when they had bound him, They led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Then Judas, which had betrayed him when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned and that I have betrayed the innocent blood. That's an important phrase in your Bible, the innocent blood. He didn't say I've sinned and that I betrayed innocent blood. There have been many people who were innocent of the crime for which they were charged or the crime for which they were condemned. Just talk to the people in jail. All of them are innocent. Okay, but the definite article that is used in Matthew 27 verse 4 points to the sinlessness of Jesus Christ. He he has the only innocent blood of any man since Adam was flowing through the veins of Jesus Christ. And he was condemned. He was tried. He was sentenced to death. But the thief on the cross said it this way, this man hath done nothing amiss. His was the pure and spotless blood of God himself. But he was God who who gave himself a sacrifice as prophesied in Genesis chapter 22. That precious blood of Jesus Christ was the price of our redemption. I believe the new Bibles take out that phrase. They they obscure the doctrine that is so clearly taught in Matthew 27, 4 of the sinlessness of Christ. Saying, I have sinned and that I betrayed the innocent blood. Isn't that an understatement? That sure enough was a sin. And Judas is sorry for what he has done. He is sorry for how it's turned out. He did not repent toward God. He repented himself, the Bible says in verse number three. And they said, when he came and he's trying to give back the money, he's saying, I wish I'd have never done this. They said, what is that to us? See that of that. We don't care. Deal with it. Verse number five. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. And the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, it is not lawful for them to be put into the treasury because of the price of blood. Now, we've got to stop and note the hypocrisy for just a minute. They have condemned Jesus to be guilty of death by calling for false witnesses. They, they, they set men up to come and tell lies about Jesus Christ. There was nothing lawful about the trial. There was nothing lawful about the accusation. There was nothing lawful about the sentence. But they said... They had just given this man blood money. They had just hired a hit man. And they're saying, oh, we can't take this money back. That wouldn't be right. It's incredible how deceitful and wicked the human heart is. In the midst of all of their breaking of God's law in order to, to execute Jesus, oh, we can't do it on the Sabbath day because that's holy. <laughs> It's just incredible. Look at verse number six. And the chief priest took the silver piece and said, it's not lawful for them to be put in the treasury because of the price of blood. And they took counsel and bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. Does that sound familiar from what we read in Zechariah? Turn back there if you would. Zechariah chapter 11. It's not far back from Matthew. Zechariah 11. 
If you think good, give me my price. Verse 12, what was the price? 30 pieces of silver, verse 12. Lord said unto me, cast it unto the potter. You see that in verse 13, Zechariah 11, 13. What happened to 30 pieces of silver? Cast it unto the, the potter. And I took 30 pieces of silver, cast them to the potter in the house of the Lord. Look at Matthew 27, verse number 7. They took counsel and bought with them the potter's field. If they bought the potter's field, who got the money? The potter. The one who owned the field. Verse 8. Wherefore, that field was called the field of blood unto this day because it was bought with money that was the price of blood look at verse 9 this is curious then was fulfilled that which was spoken by jeremy the prophet saying they took the 30 pieces of silver the price of him that was valued whom they of the children of israel did value and gave them for the potter's field as the lord appointed me okay so we have a little bit of a problem when we read verse number nine. Now it is a fulfillment of the prophecy, but there is a different prophet that is mentioned in verse number nine. Did you catch that? We started this morning by reading from the book of Zechariah. But when the Old Testament prophecy is referenced in Matthew 27, the prophet that is named is not Zechariah, it's Jeremy. That is Jeremiah. Jeremiah and Zechariah are not the same now. I mean, it could have been Zechariah Jeremiah, or it could have been Jeremiah Zechariah. You know, I don't know if they had middle names back then. I don't think so. What is the answer to this? Because people will point to this as a, oh, you see, the Bible has errors. Oh, you see, the Bible was written by men. Oh, you see, the scribes messed this up. Oh, you see, God allowed his word to be corrupted. Oh, you see, you can't trust the Bible. It was just written by men. Okay, this is one of those supposed contradictions in the Word of God. But all of the supposed contradictions of the Word of God are just that. They are supposed. People think they are contradictions, one, because they don't read it very carefully, two, because they want it to be a contradiction, because the Bible contradicts their lives. People want to believe the Bible is full of errors because the Bible says their life is full of errors. And when someone goes against you, the... the the, the knee-jerk response is to discredit that person so I can ignore what they're saying. That's how arguments go, okay? When somebody is arguing with you and proving you wrong, especially if they have you beat on that point, the tactic that you're going to turn to is you're going to try to discredit them with something else. Oh, yeah, but you... And that's what people do to the Bible. The Bible says you're wrong. They say, oh, yeah, but you... And then you see the Bible's wrong because it says Jeremy the prophet in Matthew 27 and verse 9. And the verse is actually in Zechariah 11 verse 13. Now they don't know this because they read their Bible and study it carefully. They read it in a book. That was written by a man. That makes them say you can't believe the Bible because it's written by men. Which also is hypocritical, is it not? If I can't believe the Bible because it's written by a man, how am I going to believe that because it comes from a book that was written by a man? All right? The, Second Peter describes this as they are willingly ignorant. Why? Because they walk after their own lusts. Because they want to live the way they want to live and they don't want anybody, including God, telling them that they're wrong. Now, the answer is very, 
Very simple. You probably already noticed it. But let's read the verse again. See if you can catch it. Matthew 27, verse 9. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet. And it goes on and gives the prophecy. It Speaking is different than writing. Okay? Matthew 27, 9 does not say this prophecy was written by Jeremy the prophet. If it had said that, if we could, we could kind of give you some ground. That might be a contradiction because we don't read anything like this in the book that bears Jeremiah's name. But it didn't say it was written by Jeremy the prophet. It said it was spoken by Jeremy the prophet. And do you think in the 52 chapters of Jeremiah we have everything that the prophet ever said? Of course not. So what was recorded by Zechariah was something that was also spoken by Jeremiah. And when the Bible references what Zechariah wrote and says it's what Jeremiah said, well, then it's not a contradiction. Still the truth. Okay, does that make sense? It's not a contradiction because it doesn't say it was written by Jeremiah. It says it was spoken by Jeremiah. And it was spoken by Jeremiah. And it was recorded by Zechariah. And it's a prophecy that was made hundreds of years in advance and fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. And it provides great evidence that the Bible is true. Now, come back to Genesis 37. This prophecy is also found in picture form, in typology, in the book of Genesis. And we have to read a little bit between the lines to get this, but I think it's there. Joseph stands in your Bible as one of the clearest pictures, the, 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 one of the fullest types of Jesus Christ in all of the Old Testament. The study of the life of Joseph as it relates to the life of Jesus Christ really is fascinating. He is loved by his father. He is hated by his brethren. He is condemned to die unlawfully. He marries a Gentile bride. There are all of these particulars from the life of Joseph that line up with the life of Jesus Christ. He is known by his brethren when he comes the second time, according to Acts chapter number 7, as he'll be revealed to the nation of Israel as their Messiah and receive the nation of Israel as their Messiah. Not at his first coming, they rejected him, but at his second coming, they'll receive him. Genesis 37, and you remember the story, Joseph has some dreams. He tells his brothers the dreams. They hate him before the dreams. They hate him double after the dreams. They can't stand him. They want to get rid of him. They're going to kill him, but Reuben talks them into, let's just put him in a pit. Reuben's like, we're going to get him out later. Well, Judah has the bright idea. Let's not kill him, but let's still get rid of him. That's what they do. They sold him into slavery. There's a band of Ishmaelites passing by. Oh, here's a... Here's an opportunity to kill two birds with one stone. We can get rid of Joseph and we can make some money. Genesis 37, verse number 28. Then there passed by many nights merchantmen, and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver, and they brought Joseph into Egypt. You say, well, that's 20 pieces of silver, not 30 pieces of silver. Look at verse number 36. And the Mennonites sold him into Egypt unto Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh's and captain of the guard. So Joseph's brethren sold him for 20 pieces of silver to the Midianites, but the Midianites bought him so they could sell him. Midianites bought him for 20 pieces of silver, 
and took him into Egypt to sell him. If I had to guess what the price was in Egypt, I know the Midianites are going to make a profit. I would probably peg that at 30 pieces of silver. Now I can't prove that to you. It's just interesting. But we do have the picture where Joseph is priced at a certain amount of pieces of silver. And it points us to Jesus Christ. Come to Exodus chapter 21. Exodus chapter 21. In verse 32, what will 30 pieces of silver get you? Well, it might get you a field where you can bury some people. It might buy you a, a, a little piece of, little patch of graveyard. Or here's something else, Exodus 21 in verse number 32. Exodus 21 and verse number 32. If the ox shall push a manservant... Or a maidservant. You know how different parts of the country pronounce different words differently? I'm not sure if this was an Indiana thing or an individual thing, but there was, I was speaking in Indiana with a certain brother and it made me laugh. He, he, he doesn't say the word push, push. He would read it this way If the ox shall push a manservant or a maidservant. I'm going to start, I think I'm going to start pronouncing it that way. If the ox shall push a manservant or maidservant, he shall give unto their master 30 shekels of silver, and the ox shall be stoned. What happened here? Well, there's an ox, and the ox killed somebody else's servant, and there was restitution that was to be paid. There was, there was some compensation to be given because... One man's property destroyed, took away another man's servant, okay? And, and we're not going to get into all the ramifications of that this morning as far as slavery and the Bible and all that. But the, 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 the price of a slave in Exodus 21-32 is 30 shekels of silver, Okay? Come back to Zechariah 11, Matthew 26. Let's just look at those passages together one more time. We've gotten the prophetic application. We see how these events that took place in the Gospels, in the life of Jesus Christ, were foretold and were pictured in the Old Testament. But we want to, want to look at these verses practically now, keeping in mind all that we have said to this point. Zechariah 11 and Matthew 27. Get Matthew 27. Zechariah 11, verse 12. I said to them, if you think good, give me my price. If not forbear, so they wait for my price, 30 pieces of silver. The Lord said unto me, Zechariah 11, 13, cast in the potter a goodly price that I was priced at of them. Matthew 27, verse number 9. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, They took the thirty pieces of silver, the price of him that was valued, whom the children, whom they of the children of Israel did value, and they gave them for the potter's field as the Lord appointed me. And here, here, here's the application. The price that was put on Jesus is equivalent to the value that was placed on Jesus. 
and the value at which Jesus was priced by the chief priests and by one of his followers who was used by them to betray him so he could be condemned and he could die was the price of a slave, the price of a servant, 30 pieces of silver. And my question to myself and my question to you this morning is, what price do you put on Jesus Christ? What value do you give him in your life? From Zechariah 11, from Matthew 27, the principle we take is this, the price that we put on Jesus or the value that we assign to Jesus Christ this morning is equivalent to what we are willing to put in his place. What are we willing to exchange him for? What are we willing to replace him with? Judas, would you rather have Jesus and your loyalty to Jesus and your discipleship of Jesus? Or would you rather have 30 pieces of silver? Judas said, "Mm, give me 30 pieces of silver. I'll give up on Jesus. All it took for Judas to betray and forsake Jesus Christ was a bag full of coins. That was the value that he placed on the Son of God. Now, this morning, I want you to understand, there is going to come a point in time in your life, and probably not just a point in time, there will probably be many such opportunities, many such temptations. There will be opportunity for you to place your value on the Son of God. You will have a choice to make Do I replace Jesus with this, or do I retain my loyalty to the Savior? You will be asked in different ways, in different situations, at different times, to replace Jesus and His position in your life with something else, with someone else. You will have opportunity to put your price on the Son of God, I'm asking you, how do you value the Lord? What price do you give Him? Come with me to Deuteronomy 32. Let's look at one more verse. Deuteronomy 32. <clears throat> I believe it's verse number 15 that we want. Deuteronomy 32. It is verse number 15. Deuteronomy 32, 15, but Jeshurun waxed fat and kicked, and thou art waxing fat. Thou art grown thick. Thou art covered with fatness. And that's spiritual, I think. (laughs) Then he forsook God which made him, look at this, and lightly esteemed, lightly esteemed the rock of his salvation. You need some work done at your house, you know what you do? You call for an estimator. You call for someone to come and give you an estimate. That is the price that it will take to repair, the price that it will take to build, the price that it will take to do the work that 
you're wanting to hire this person to do. When the Bible says they had lightly esteemed the rock of their salvation, they gave him a low estimate. They assigned him a low value. They put the price low. They were willing to replace God with idols. They were willing to replace God with material things. They were willing to replace God with and just fill in the blank. And and I'm asking you this morning, what is it that you would be willing to replace the Lord with? Or what is it that you have been willing to place Jesus in his rightful place in your life with? You're going to have opportunity to take Christ out of his rightful place in your life, to, 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 to exchange your loyalty and devotion and commitment to him. You're going to have opportunity to replace that with something else, with someone else. And I'm just saying that when you do what you're saying is this person, this thing, this opportunity, this situation is more important to me than Jesus Christ. Is more valuable to me than Jesus Christ. When you idolize something, when you idolize someone, what you're saying is they're better than Jesus I value them or it more than the Son of God. And it happens all the time to people who are who claim to be Christ's disciple. Judas was a disciple. And he said, 30 pieces of silver. Yeah, I'll give up. I'll give up Jesus. What do you want? Just give me the money. All right. And it happens all the time to young people. They get their first job at minimum wage. And now minimum wage is more important than church. And they get in school and they're pursuing an education. And I'm all for education, but that takes the place of Bible reading, witnessing, ministry. They, they get in a position where they have some responsibility or they get in a relationship where they're trying to figure out their life. And when those things become more important and take the place of Jesus Christ, what you're saying is that person is more important to me than Jesus. This thing is more important to me than Jesus. I'm asking you, what will it be in your life? I want you to recognize those temptations and think about what it means. Are you being a Judas and saying he's worth 30 pieces of silver? How many young people give up on the Lord because of a really handsome guy? How many, how many guys give up their loyalty and devotion to Jesus because she's so pretty? I'm saying, you're saying they're more valuable than Jesus Christ? Don't make that exchange. Don't put that little, don't assign that small of a value to the one who gave the innocent blood for your soul's salvation. How do we value Jesus? What price do we put on? It, it, it's not what we say. He's the most important person in my life. He, he, gets not, he deserves the number one place. Yeah, that's what we say. But how do we live? All right, that's something I believe that pretty convicting for us to think about once you carry that with you and remember it. Great prophecy, great fulfillment of a prophecy really proves the Bible true, but then it horrible to be a Judas. Don't be a Judas. Place a high value on Jesus Christ. Don't be willing to exchange him for anything. The price you put on Jesus is what you are willing to replace him with. Let's pray. Father, sure do thank you for your word this morning. Uh, God, thank you that it is trust worthy. Help us to trust it. Help us to believe it. Help us to build our lives upon it. 
Lord, pray that you bless now in the preaching hour. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.